and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today's podcast was recorded with Eric Palmer, a guru of instructional practices for better spoken communication. Eric shares his philosophy on the importance of teaching speech is a crucial life skill. He has developed a framework to teach students what to do before speaking and during speaking and uses these many lessons throughout the year to develop and practice some aspects of great speech. He integrates speaking into all areas of instruction to maximize every moment and have students practice these skills. He elaborated on the importance of adults and teachers becoming effective oral communicators. Throughout our conversation, Eric emphasized the importance of always improving and learning. He has many resources through his Twitter, website, and books, including checklists, a framework to teach, and other supporting materials. Eric Palmer will be a featured speaker at the 2022 CCIRA conference. We had a lot of fun or speaking with Eric today, and we hope you have a lot of fun listening. Welcome, Eric. Tell us a little about yourself and how you got started on your literacy journey. Well, it was a, a strange path I took. I started out in business. I actually ran a commodity brokerage firm, and I had a seat on a Chicago commodity exchange, and not everybody knows what that means, but I used to fly to Chicago and spend time in the pit screaming and yelling about the price of soybeans. At some point when my kids were born, I thought, this is not any way to live. I enjoy kids more. So I made a little bit of a pay cut, maybe 80%, and went into education. Now, I came from the business world, so I knew that speaking was important. It was critical to all of my broker's success, critical to my success on the floor. Speaking mattered. And so here I am in fifth and sixth grade, and I asked my teammates, I need some help here, because I came out of teacher preparation program with about eight weeks worth of units, but the school year is a little longer than that. And so they said, well, here's what you do. You do a book report every quarter on a different genre. I thought, great, that'll take some time. So the kids got up in October to do their book reports, fifth and sixth graders. They got up to do their book reports, and they were terrible. They, they, were, they were horribly bad. And I, I couldn't believe how polite my kids were because they all clapped. And I thought, really? She just destroyed a great piece of literature. And I asked my teammates, I said, what is going on here? These kids have been speaking since kindergarten share time when they passed a teddy bear around. And they did brown bag speeches in first grade. And they've done book reports before. So this is terrible. Like, yeah, that's just how kids speak. So that's how they speak, but it's not how they can speak. So where are the materials for teaching speaking? Because we had daily oral language. I don't know if people remember that, but we would put things up on an overhead. Yeah, retro. And they would correct the mistakes. And we had a spelling program. And we had a basal reader. And we had novel sets. I said, where are the speaking materials? Blank stares all around. We have nothing about teaching kids how to speak well, nothing at all. So this was unacceptable to me, and I ended up creating a way to teach kids to speak well. And it sort of caught on at the school, and I had an assistant principal 
who said, hey, my kids go to a different school. Will you go over there and teach them how you do this? And then someone asked me to speak at a conference, CCIRA. And I said, um, yeah, I guess I can go to a conference. What I discovered was I was the lone voice out there suggesting that teaching speaking matters. At CCIRA, I think the room next to me was something like teaching haiku to fourth grade boys. And it was sold out. And I had three people come into my session because, you know, it's the International Reading Association. And we all got into this because we love reading. We love writing. We love poetry. No one says they became an English teacher or a reading teacher because they love speaking. So I was a lone voice. But bit by bit, people have figured out speaking matters. Well, and so the thing the audience can't hear is that I was laughing the whole time. Maybe not the whole time, but because there was some serious content in there. But speaking does matter. Like you had little moments that were cracking me up. And, um, you know, it, the way you speak is emotive. Um, and I, you know, you, you and I've already talked about this a little bit. I don't come from the language arts background. So coming from social studies and science, I need students who can talk about content. And so I also have kind of explored speaking. And I think, you know, social studies and science teachers, they don't have resources like yours or they haven't found them necessarily. Um, and I loved that you said how they can speak. So what are some of those things that you built early on? And I know they've evolved since then. What are some things you built to help elevate kids, not from how they did speak, but to how they can speak? What are some well, steps? Uh, first, to your point, Molly, I also taught social studies in eighth grade. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion. Uh, we did a 28th Amendment project. There are 27 amendments to the Constitution. And I asked kids, what should be the 28th? And they had to get up and present it. And when I taught science, are they presenting lab reports? Did we have science in the news discussions? So the people are speaking in every subject. And that's why it's critical to understand that it's not the job of the English teacher to teach speaking. There's, if they're speaking in your class, it's your job. So what I did way back when was try and break speaking into pieces. Here's the most critical part. And it's oddly not a part of any of the thousands of books out there about public speaking. All speaking has two very distinct parts. What you do before you open your mouth and what you do as you are speaking. And so I gave kids that framework. There are certain things you're going to do before you open your mouth, you're going to think really hard about the audience and design a talk specifically for them. You're going to put in the exact amount of content that's meaningful and powerful and fits the exact time you have. You're going to organize it well just before you ever open your mouth with a great beginning, transitions, a great middle, a great ending. You're going to look the way you should look. I used to have some formal presentations where we dressed up because kids need to know you build your appearance before you speak. And then sometimes we had visual aids. So I said, if you pay attention to those five things before you ever open your mouth, then you've got something that's going to be worth saying. And then we get to the part that trips people up, right? The performing part. 
It doesn't matter how well you create a talk. If you can't put it out there, it's worthless. And when we ask people about the fear of public speaking, it's usually, well, I'm afraid to get up in front of people. Yeah, because no one ever taught you how to do it. They taught you all kinds of things about capital letters and punctuation and putting independent clauses together and about the Bill of Rights. And they taught you about atoms and they taught you about, no one ever taught you how to speak. So I said, let me teach you how to speak. And I took all of the confusing terms, articulation, elocution, enunciation, vo vocal intonation, modulation, inflection, stand still, stand straight, hold your head up, uh, don't fidget, stop shuffling, have enthusiasm, use humor, stop it. I said, I can boil this down into six things that you need to do. You need to be poised. That means you don't shuffle, fidget, or do distracting things. You need to appear calm and confident. You need to have a voice such that we can hear every word. And that encompasses volume, projection, articulation, elocution. Just stop it. Voice. Let's make it simple. Life. You got to have life in your voice. The biggest growth area. This is what killed me. I told my kids in middle school, you only have to listen to 29 others, but I've got period two, period four, period five, and period seven. I cannot listen to these. You gotta have some life in your voice here. You're killing me. You do need to make eye contact. Every teacher teaches that one or mentions it. You have to have gestures with your hand, face, and body, and you have to use speed well. So I said, break it down. These are the six things you have to do. Poise, voice, life, eye contact, gestures, and speed. And I wrote that on the chalkboard. And someone chalkboard, I know, this is going back a ways. Somebody said, PV legs. Why, yes, PV legs. And that caught on. It took on a life of its own. My website is pvlegs.com. But what that framework did was make it simple and understandable for kids to know what it took to be a great speaker. And I love that because I agree. I think everything that we can simplify for them, like it's just so much better. And you know, those patterns, those acronyms, whatever helps them remember and kind of work through those. Um, thinking of keeping it simple, when you're when you were in the classroom and you were kind of planning out your year and thinking about kind of that scaffolding, that progression, were there some ways that you maybe started from simpler speaking assignments and built into some more complex ones? Like I know in my classroom, um, I actually have, I do a, a read and discuss protocol. So my kids really start to practice very short, simple conversations and discussions so that we can build up into some of the bigger debates and, you know, really right. formal conversations that we have. So how, how did you build some of those things as you were working on teaching kids to be better speakers and stronger speakers and to have some poise and all these well, other things? Yeah, that's a fair question, right? What I did was I introduced the framework straight away because we're going to be doing a lot of speaking. Whether I taught English or science or social studies, there was a lot of speaking. And so I introduced the framework right away. And then I would have, I would apply, sometimes I would apply the framework in pieces. For instance, we're having a discussion in social studies, and I noticed that kids aren't looking at each other. They're only looking at me. So I would say, all right, the next time we have a discussion, we're focusing on one thing, 
eye contact. We're going to put that piece into play. I want you to look at each other. Now, you know, I'm not grading eye contact, but now we're focusing on it just for this discussion. And I had a lot of mini speeches for practicing. Uh, I would, and in fact, if you go to the website, you'll see some of these mini speeches. I said, well, we've got five minutes left at the period uh, before you have to go off to lunch. Let's do this phrase right here. How about this phrase? I don't think you're dumb. And I would have someone say it with different life. Can you say it so that I believe everybody but you thinks I'm an idiot? And some kid would go, um, I don't think you're dumb. Oh, ouch. I get that. Okay. Can someone say it so I believe there's something else really wrong with me? Just playing with the life and the voice. We have a couple minutes left before the period's over. And someone would go, I don't think you're dumb. Oh, there's something else wrong with me. Can you say it so I get that you think I'm an idiot? And some kid would finally work on it and go, I don't think you're dumb. I said, yeah, see, that's the power of adding life. You can change meaning with it. We don't have time to do anything now. That was just a little filler. But I'm sneaking these things in all day long. Now, we would have some mini speeches, you know, the presentation of a book report in October. I'm not grading all of the elements, but by the book report in May, I am. And when we did our year-end project, a uh, biography presentation, yeah, they knew that everything was in play because we had done it piece by piece during the year as it fit. Okay, I like that. So you teach the framework and then you have them practice or focus on practicing specific pieces of it. I really like those mini speeches. I think I'm going to have to steal that and like add that into my classroom practice tomorrow. <laughs> if I can throw this in, I mean, we're talking, Molly, you and I, uh -huh. middle school. Yeah. I was working with first graders and I asked them to do my favorite toy. And they brought in a favorite toy and they were going to give three minute talk about their favorite toy. And I picked three kids in the audience and I said, we're going to work on poise. We're going to work on gestures and eye contact. That's it. That's all we're doing in this speech. And I said, Molly, if they start to shuffle or do something funny that distracts you, raise your hand. You're going to be our poise monitor. And Jessica, you're going to be our eye contact monitor. If they start looking down or just staring at the toy, you raise your hand. They won't see it because they're not making eye contact. And I picked someone else to be the gesture monitor. And it was adorable to see what kids can do. These speeches are simple little things. They love doing it. They brought in their favorite animal, their favorite car, whatever. And the difference between what you would have expected without any instruction and what you got after simple instruction about just those three things was enormous. I love giving kids the idea of giving kids a job too, because then your listeners have some ownership in what's happening. They're becoming very aware of, you know, some potential things they might do as speakers. Um, so I well, really and to that, that point, strategy. You know, we ask kids, well, what did you think of that speech? Um, you know, it was good. Because you don't know what to look for. So when you introduce the framework, now we can evaluate all speakers. Uh, Martin Luther King Day, let's take a look at his speech, not just for the message, how well it was built, which is incredible, 
but now let's put this framework on the delivery because the framework applies now and makes you a more critical listener and makes you much better at evaluating oral communication. I hadn't even thought of that piece, but yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a bunch that I'm going to take back because I've, I've played around with a lot of different strategies. And I have to say, I haven't dug into your work, but now I know where my homework's going to be. Um, this has been, okay. for, for me, it's been the fun of it. Like I said, I was the only voice out there, and I'm still pretty close to the only voice out there. Um, but it's the kind of stuff that when teachers hear, they go, oh, yeah, no, wait, that does make sense. And the truth is, I am tired of those deadly poetry recitations. Two roads diverse in a wood, and I took the road less traveled. You know, yeah, you're right. I get it. Let's spend a little time teaching the most important language art. And it is the most important because, I mean, yes, you need to do some written communication, but for some people, that doesn't go beyond an email. But everyone has to go speak, talk to others, no matter what you do. Even when I technically had a lonely museum job where I was in a lab by myself, every once in a while I had to go talk with the curator or the education specialists and, you know, communi communicate even sometimes with museum visitors. So, like, I had a different career that was theoretically lonely, but there was still plenty of communication involved. Well, and the so fun of the framework is it applies in every situation one on one, small group, large group, formal, informal in person, via Zoom, the framework fits every situation. When I was giving Sarah, my daughter, car keys when she turned 16, audience, what's going on in the head of a 16-year-old girl, content, what do I want to say about driving, just what right now, what am I going to say first, what am I going to say second, third, or didn't have visual aids, but how do I look? I was not mowing the lawn, Dad. I was, this is a serious talk dad and did i perform it mm-hmm yeah so that she got it did she hear every word yeah was there life in my voice yeah you you use the framework no matter what speaking opportunity job interview when someone comes into the back of the lab to talk to you yep it fits well i'm wondering Because on your blog, you were talking about how if a kid got a math problem wrong, the teacher would talk to the, that kid and address it and teach that kid. If a student wrote something that wasn't great, the teacher would address that. But teachers, and I still think this is the case, even though it's in the Common Core and that there are speaking and listening standards, teachers aren't directly addressing it like they are reading writing, math, why do you think that's still the case? Well, I think one thing, it's not on the big test. And so I don't have time to teach this because I don't have time to teach everything I need for the big test. Another thing is there's, mis there's this mystique about speaking. We all know that public speaking is a fear. And so if a child says, oh, I, I don't like speaking, we tend to go, oh, that's okay, Jessica. You know, well, then you just don't have to do it, which is not something we would ever do with any other subject. There are kids that hate math, but we never say, oh, well, Jessica, well, you just won't do math then, that's okay. And I'll give you a hint. 
There are kids that hate reading and writing, and we don't excuse them either. We say, yeah, but this is what we do. And so we have to break this mystique that speaking is somehow different and scary. And we have to break, the. I guess the third thing is the, the belief that it's innate. There are people who are good speakers or who aren't. Nonsense. There are people who are more artistic than others, more mathic than others, more readic than others. Yeah, there are some kids that are better speakers. I get it. But every child can learn. Every child can be better at it. And so we have to get past those barriers. Now, to your point about, you know, you would share errors in math. One of the things I make real clear very early in the year is we are emerging speakers. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do silly things. And in the middle school, sometimes you have, well, how was it? I want to say that there was a things happen. And so I make clear right away, we are never, ever going to make life harder for somebody. We're never going to laugh at somebody. We can laugh with people because we do funny things. And so that's fine. But when I share a mistake that somebody made or when we all notice that you spent all this time fidgeting with your hair, because we all notice, we all know to look for poise. Don't worry. It's not a tragic thing. It's just like, you got the order of operations wrong. Let me show you how to fix that. Will you get this poise thing wrong? Let me show you how to fix that. You take the charge out of it. It's just some other thing to learn. And it's really important that you learn it. I like that. Um, and that reminded me, do you ever give, do you ever provide like a mentor text sort of version of speaking where, I mean, you said you have them look at Martin Luther King and sort of evaluate some of his strategies. And I'm just thinking back, there was a video from Edutopia that I used to show to my sixth graders back when I taught sixth grade. And they'd watch this video of these little kids having a discussion about something. You know, they were like first and second graders. And my kids were like, they're so smart. And I looked at them, I said, they're not any smarter than you are. They've just mm -hmm. had more practice. And so have you, have you used some models or examples with students or do you recommend that and why or why not? And kind of what might that look like? All the time, all the time. I, you're a huge believer in mentor texts. I'm a huge believer when I taught kids uh, any kind of writing to say, let's look at some samples of that kind of writing before we do it. Huge believer. And the website has all kinds of speeches, good and bad. Now that you have the framework, you know, what drives me crazy is that people don't pay attention to the speaker. For instance, Amanda Gorman delivering her poem got everybody inspired about poetry for a minute. Did anyone talk about the speaking skills that she demonstrated? Because they were amazing. Why is that not part of the lesson? Let's use this as a model speech. Uh, and I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, but you don't have to be that at that level, there are all kinds of TED Talks I use. And there's a wonderful speech by, uh, I would call her a third grader. I'm not sure what the thing is in England. It's like third form or something. A great speech on my website by a third grader who's adorable, a powerful message, a really well-built speech, and then really well-performed speech. So yes, uh, anything you see that's instructive, good or bad, kids, I want to know. Hey, Mr. Palmer, I saw this last night. Well, let's see it. Let's bring it in. 
absolutely critical that we can look at other folks. And you've brought up how much stuff is on your website. So obviously anybody who's listening, you need to go to his website. And you said that's pvlegs.com? Dot com. .com. Yes. All right. So easy peasy. Very nice to find. Um, so pvlegs.com to get all these awesome resources that Eric is sharing. And then I'm wondering, you know, you haven't talked about your books and you've written quite a few books. And I'm going to ask you a hard question. And I know there's no right answer to this. But if somebody was, and maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong, but if somebody was going to get started and dig in, what do you think is the best? If they have to choose between, what is it, like seven books? Um, there might be seven now, yeah. <laughs> um, so if they have to choose between these seven books, where do they start? What's the best one to dig into if for a complete newbie who's got no idea how to teach speaking? You know, maybe this is a first year teacher, or maybe it's a, you know, 10, 15, 20 year teacher who's just like, oh my gosh, I need right. this. I need, I, this is what I've always been missing. I've been so frustrated. These are tools I need. Where do they start? You know, I think you start with where I started. Oddly enough, at CCIRA, I, I complained about that there was almost no one at the session. Well, one of the people at the session was a superintendent of a district in Colorado Springs. And she said, will you come teach our teachers in the summer? And I said, okay. And I was laying this framework on them and they said, well, is there a book about this? And I looked around and there wasn't. So I ended up writing well-spoken, teaching, speaking to all students, which Stenhouse picked up. And that is the very first, here's the framework. Here are many lessons you can use for each piece of building a talk and for each piece of performing a talk. And here are rubrics at the end. So that's still the basic guide of what it takes to become a teacher. And note that I say for all students, this isn't something just for the kids that are buzzed on forensics or debate. Every kid needs to know how to be an effective oral communicator. When we talk about student voice, how could you say you're giving students voice if you haven't taught them how to speak well? And that's another example, by the way, Molly. What about the kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas? Why were they so effective? Because of the way they spoke. And so I would start with the, where I started, well-spoken, teaching, speaking to all students. Awesome, thank you. So maybe it wasn't a hard question. <laughs> do you have a favorite? Here's the hard question. Do you have a favorite out of all your books? You know, I don't know that I have a, a favorite. Uh, some books fed off of another. Um, you know, for instance, good thinking. I thought, well, I've taught kids how to speak well, but are they thinking well enough that they have something worth saying? So then that led me to write good thinking. Um, I was watching kids research in class. Actually, I watched another teacher sent kids to the internet without any instruction about what it was. Just go do some research. I said, mm, we should give kids instruction about the internet first before we send them off. And so that put me on a different stretch, researching in a digital world, which isn't you know, what I know a lot about, but I know more than the kids that we're sending out there. Probably the one that was most fun was when I got a call from an association of trainers, the world's largest association of trainers. These are adults. And if you look around, every business has trainers. Someone's training the dental hygienist how to sterilize tools. 
Someone's training the people how to fold sweaters at the clothing store. Someone's training the restaurant folks about food storage safety. Everybody has trainers. And they got their job because they're really good at what they do. But no one taught them how to speak well. You're a great electrician, but does that mean you can teach other electricians? So someone from the Association for Talent Development called and said, will you write a book for us? So there's an adult version now of well-spoken, which was super fun to realize. Yeah, of course, because adults, they came through the same school system we're all in and no one taught them how to speak well. Yeah, I was actually, as you've been talking, I was thinking, I need to give this to some of my friends. So I have an insane dog training hobby on the side, and some of my friends are professionals, and some of them are very good coaches of humans, and they know how to talk to people, and others, like, they got into it because they don't know how to talk to people, and it's like, no, you have to teach people, so you got to figure this out. So I think I'm going to recommend your books to, you know, more than just my colleagues in education. I think, I think these need to go all over the place. You're um, my hero. Own any occasion, <laughs> Molly. Own any occasion. That's the other book. Yeah, and I saw that one. So you want to talk about that one since that's your newest own any occasion and kind of what your goal is for well, inspiring all speakers books, through that one? All of my books have been for teachers. You know, uh, this is how to teach kids to speak well. This is how to teach kids to do research better. This is how to teach kids to think well and to create a good argument and to use evidence. Um, this was the only book I wrote that's for the general public. The, it was on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. And, you know, you just walk in there and say, hey, here are self-help books. So it was a different game for me to, instead of uh, Molly, this is how you would take a student through this process to Molly, this is how you do this. There's a little shift there that was, you know, maybe it worked, maybe not. Maybe adults are looking at the book saying, this is too simple. Yeah, I get it. I've been writing stuff that's targeted for a young audience. So I could believe it, but there are a whole lot of adults that go, yeah, I need something simple. This was too confusing. And I'm not good at talking. Well, and I'm thinking about us as professionals. I wonder if it would benefit teachers to read that for themselves. Um, you know, in some of our evaluation rubrics, there's now all these components about leadership and advocating for your building and your school and your community. And if you're going to do some of those things, we might need better skills as individual teachers in kind of speaking up about things and doing it well. Yeah, I think without, without a doubt. For instance, think of the difference uh, about back to school night. How many teachers do you know are panicked about back to school night? Look, I'm really good with third graders. I'm really good with you know high school. Wait, your audience has changed. You can do this. Let's put the framework here. Now you have this audience instead of some other audience. Um, it will take some of the charge out of those other situations. When we realize we're not just effective with kids, we can be effective, whether we're at the faculty meeting, whether we're a teacher on special assignment, now teaching other teachers, whether we're presenting at CCIRA, <clears throat> whether you're back to school night, we can all up our game. But I think we can all be better. 
I would agree with that. Well, I think oh, it's, go for it, Jessica. Oh, well, I think it's taking, it's like you said with kids, taking that misconception away that, well, I'm good, I'm a good speaker, I'm not a good speaker. And we need to learn as adults that we can get better at speaking, just like some teachers aren't as great at math as they are at reading and vice versa. So it's about identifying and then learning to get better as well. Exactly. And all of us are committed to doing the best job we can for kids. And part of that is becoming the best effective oral communicator we can. And so it's, you know, it's part of our, it should be part of our professional development. And there are a lot of districts now that have brought me in to do professional development because they get that. And by the way, it's everyone in your building. The person who greets parents in the morning better have pretty good speaking skills because that's the first contact with the school. That, instantly tells me whether I like this school or not, the person I met right there. So how are the speaking skills of the people who you don't think of as serving students? It still matters. Everybody in your building needs to be an effective communicator because it's all part of the building morale and the building image. Yes, I, I would. I 100% agree with that. Um, changing a little bit, I, I got caught up in you saying um, we can all do better. And that reminded me, you know, I did some snooping around your Twitter account. And, you know, right next to his name, it says, he says, I think we, I think we can all improve. Is that, yeah, I think we can all improve. And I love that that's like, that's like part of his name. So when you're on Twitter and you're looking up Eric Palmer, you're going to see, I think we can all improve. And certainly my philosophy as an individual is always about growth and, you know, constantly learning. That's part of why I'm here with CCIRA, because I like to learn and engage in that learning process. So um, thinking about your Twitter account a little bit, there was one that I saw. Oh, where was it? Let me let me pick up while you're looking oh, for that. Yeah. And I think we can all improve. That includes me. I got called from a district I worked with 10 years ago, and they said, it's time to come back. We have stuff pretty much in play, but we need you back. And I looked at what I presented 10 years ago. That's the beauty of computers. All that stuff's still in there somewhere. And thought, oh, my, this is terrible. My visual aids were horrid. I thought, this is what I shared. This is what I built for them. Oh my gosh. And so I'm in constant improvement also and say, well, this is what you do. Uh, yeah, but I've seen other people keynote at a conference and thought, wow, that's at a different level yet. I mean, then one day I want to be like that. So it's not, even people who are really good, I think we can all improve. I think we can still be better. But anyhow, you were saying... Um, there was something about, uh, oh, I can't even find it. Mm. I'm, By the way, I remember it, well enough to say something. Um, I put up some frameworks on Twitter, just some simple checklists that you should have students use that are just out there for anybody. And that would make presentations way better if you just said, hey, kids, before you do this presentation, go through this checklist. Even if you haven't taught specific mini lessons about poise or voice, just the awareness of what they're supposed to kind of be looking for, I think is useful. So 
those checklists are out there that I hope people are downloading and using. And those are on your website? Website and uh, on Twitter. And on, and, and on Twitter, so they can get them on both. That's awesome. Well, I can't find what it was and I don't remember it, I'll butcher it. So I'm just gonna leave my Twitter thought aside, but I will say you guys should follow Eric on Twitter because he's interacting with some other fantastic, you know, speakers and thinkers and they're kind of funny together. So, you know, I saw Jeff Anderson in the comments and Kelly Gallagher. And so there's some, there's some great individuals interacting oh. back and forth there and, you know, people who work at all levels of education. So, you know, I think Eric's already spoken really well to the idea um, of different levels. Cause I loved your example, Eric, earlier when you talked about with the little, little kids, how they can practice speech. And, you know, there's a lot as I move into teaching high school next year that I'm like, I can absolutely use this and I'm going to build this framework in so that my ninth graders and 10th graders and 11th graders and 12th graders are all better speakers by the end of the year. Um, well, Kelly, so but, you know, Kelly Gallagher, you mentioned was uh, certainly one of the people I modeled myself after and thought I want to be more like him. He wrote the introduction to Well-Spoken. And in his most recent book, 180 Days, I think it was with Penny Kittle, there's a section in there that's there now because his eyes were opened by the book Well-Spoken. You know, if you look at Kelly, it's reading, 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 read aside, and it's brilliant, brilliant stuff. But like so many others, it was, oh, wait, speaking? And now there's a specific section in the book. So I'm, I'm super proud of that, that uh, uh, someone like that who is a master of what he does still is thinking, oh, I can be better. I can include something about speaking. So you've been an inspiration to one of your inspiration. Exactly. Yes. Love it. Um. So thinking about that, just in general, as a professional, who have been some of your greatest inspirations? Now, obviously, your work has pushed into a realm of our practice as teachers that isn't well explored yet and definitely could use to be better explored. Although, you know, we already have the guru you, so we've got one person we can. Thank you. To. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but who have been some of your inspirations? as a teacher and a professional? Well, I have to start, uh, and I, you know, I mentioned the name often because the person that got me thinking I wanted to be a speaker was when I was little watching Martin Luther King Jr. And I thought, I wanna talk like that someday. That was my inspiration and put me on the track of speaking matters. And so I was the kid that signed up for forensics and then signed up for debate and went to college and was on the debate team because I thought, I want to be that kind of speaker. So that's what really sent me down the path of how powerful oral communication is. And I wanted to be that guy. In, in teaching, there are so many people who have inspired me. If you've taught any number of years, you have run into so many people who are so good at what they do and have taught you so much about how to inspire kids, how to manage kids. Um, there's so many people like that that I couldn't name them all in my educational career. But the one who got me into education was my fifth grade teacher. 
When I was making the move from the brokerage business to teaching, I thought of Tom Corrin and thought, man, if I could be like that guy. He was the first male teacher I had. There aren't many male teachers now, but back then there were none except for Tom. And he was great. I was kind of an odd duck. I was not the mainstream fifth grader in his class. And he could have just pushed me off to the side, but he came up with special different things for me to do and said, you seem to be a math geek. So here's a sixth grade math book. And I finished it. Well, here's a seventh grade math book. And I finished that. Well, here's an eighth grade math book. How are you doing? I said, well, I'm having a problem with ratios. Because no one had taught me ratios. I'm just on my own. He managed to juggle all these different kids and all these different learning styles and make it all work. So I said, I want to be a teacher and I want to be like Tom Corrin. And then when I got into teaching, I found out there's a lot of Tom Corrins out there. They're really good people in the business. I love that. Also, I was, I was thinking of a personal story with radio. We have, you know, you, when we think of speaking too, just the practice in saying words that sometimes they've only seen on paper. My very first year of teaching, I had this little girl who was a voracious reader. She was pretty quiet, but voracious reader. And one day she said something to me and I couldn't understand what she was trying to say. And the word she kept saying was various. And I couldn't even tell that it was all one word when it was in this sentence that she was talking about. I said, can you write that down for me? And she writes it down. I'm like, oh, various. <laughs> there are too many tricks to our language. <laughs> it's a tricky language. So even just the practice saying and hearing words from each other can be so powerful for our students. Um, knowing that you're a, a Colorado professional and that you've been at CCIRA, can you think of one speaker that had a profound impact on you at a CCIRA conference where you saw them speak and you were just like, wow, here are some things that I want to take away from this person's speech or you know, some things that I can show well, to my students or, you know. Here's where it breaks down from my work. I'm not good with names. Um, I can visualize the woman exactly. Um, Native American author who was presenting her stories. Um, and I thought, these are compelling stories and you're really a compelling speaker. And I'm blanking on the name because that's what I do. So, well, I guess she didn't leave an impression, but she did. Because I can see her in my head and I can hear her. So I'll track that down and in the footnotes to the podcast somewhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, the speaker's name was. Okay, that would be awesome, Eric. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I name drop in here, but I forget all kinds of names. Like there's some speakers that I've seen who are fantastic and I couldn't tell you their name until I go look it up. So I just get a little more practice using some of these names because, you know, I have to podcast about them. Not at CCRA, but I've seen uh, Oprah speak and I get why she's the person that she is. Mm -hmm. You know, some people have this thing and you go, well, I don't have to, I don't have to compete with that. I'm not going to ever be at that level. And that's fine. You don't have to be intimidated by people that are at a different level. You can be inspired by them and go, wow, I get why you are who you are. Well played. 
I'm going to make a couple of steps in that direction. Yes. I always think, and maybe Jessica, you remember this one. Jonathan Mooney is one who's made an impact on me. But I'm not sure. Like, I'd have to go back and watch. Is it his skill as an orator? Or is it just his story? Or is it a combination of the two? Like, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think it could be as powerful if it was just the story. But now I want to look at, like, what are his strategies? Exactly. Always it's a combination of the two. Um, always someone has built something really exciting to, to listen to, full of great ideas. But if they can't put it out there, you would not have been inspired. Jessica, you've been quiet for a while, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have any speakers you can think back to who that you almost want to go back and watch again and go, okay, how did they do that? What was it that made them so powerful? You know, Ellen Oliver Keene, and she's a local Coloradoan too, but she just has this way of engaging in the audience. She's a storyteller, but she has the content too, and then she's relatable. So I, I need to be entertained. I mean, I've sat where there's researchers who are brilliant and I, I can't stay engaged because they just kind of drone on. So I do think that, and I think Kelly and Penny are that way. I think about Bob and Kyleen from Notice and Note, like all of these people and Eric, I've seen you a couple of times, super engaging too. And I just think, to convey your message, you can talk about really deep stuff and important stuff, but I have to be entertained to learn that as well too. So I do think that is very, very important. You know, and it's a hip tip for people presenting at CCIRA because there's so many who haven't done that a lot, that have wonderful ideas to share. We know what educational presentations tend to look like. You can visualize the slides, They're going to have some goofy little graphics. They're going to have bullet points. They'll have complete sentences. And people are tempted to read those sentences at us. And if they do that, we're all going to go, yeah, well, that's okay. That's that's how educational presentations are. But they can be different. You can, we can all be better at those too. All right. That was awesome, Eric. Thank you so much. I am inspired to go read your books because I feel like you are exactly what I have been wanting for the last few years and didn't know I was missing. Apparently, I've not been picking good professional development for myself. So now I know. No one, no one thinks about it. Next. It's the and forgotten language art. I'm happy to spread the word and get more people talking about the most important language art. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. It's been a thank lot you. of fun. It's been awesome. Great talk. My pleasure. I'll see you at CCIRA. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to CCIRA.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading, 
you can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.